Our scripture story for today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem Village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When the word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. This is a story of God for the people of God. Would you say with me? Thanks be to God. Epiphany is one of the major feasts of the Christian calendar. It's celebrated 12 days after Christmas. That's where the song comes from. Epiphany is celebrated on January the 6th. The church generally acknowledges Epiphany on the second Sunday after Christmas, but today is actually January the 6th. So today is Epiphany. Today is the day of the actual feast. In some places, Epiphany is a bigger celebration than Christmas. Children leave their shoes outside of their door stuffed with hay for the camels. The camels eat the hay and the wise men leave gifts for the children. There are parades. There are celebrations. It's a feast day. Remembering the journey of the wise men and their route, their intention to find the Christ child. On Friday in my house, we took down the Christmas decorations. I was ready. It felt good to put things back in order in my home. But because I was reading Matthew chapter 2, I left the three wise men out from my nativity set. I put them in the middle of the dining room table, moving across the dining room table because 
the wise men are on the move, right? They're on a journey. This is a story of a quest. This story of the wise men's quest is found only in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, more than likely, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are in a home in Bethlehem when the travelers arrive. They're not still hanging out in the barn with the animals. And probably there's a large caravan that arrives from the east. It's not just three lone explorers showing up at Mary's door. Tradition says that there are three wise men, but that's not scripture. The Bible does, in this story, use the number three, but the number three in this story is to designate the gifts. There are three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts that would be appropriate for a king or for a god. These are things that you would find in the temple in Jerusalem. You would find gold. You would find myrrh because myrrh was added to oil to anoint priests or royalty. And you would find frankincense in the temple in Jerusalem because frankincense was burned for the highest sacrificial offerings. But the star of this story, the star of this story is actually the star. It's the star that guides the travelers, sheds the light that they need to find their way. The star is the light by which they see what God is up to. The star is the light by which they see God, the face of God. The star, I think, is important, is worth considering. Now, I recognized this week that somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I somehow have the star and the lead angel, the archangel, meshed together as if they're the same character with a megaphone and a spotlight calling out, fear not, and come here, right here, right here where I'm holding this light. I might be able to blame this on my own childhood experiences in Christmas pageants. I don't know about your experience, but I'm pretty certain that we had a child selected to be the star in the Christmas pageant. And she, it was always a she, carried a cardboard cutout of a star. Uh, She was dressed, however, like the flock of angels in a white robe made from white sheets. She made a grand entrance, and she made certain that the wise men followed her every step. While she wasn't given a microphone or a laser light, she didn't need them because this was always a four-year-old that had some command of authority. And she made sure that the wise men went right where she told them to go. Okay, the truth of the matter is that the star is rather elusive in this story. The star is rather elusive in the text. It shows up in verse 2. The star shows up in verse 2 when the magi initially go to King Herod. They ask, where is this child born king of the Jews? We saw the star in the east. Then they get their where clue of Bethlehem from the chief priests through Herod. And they go on their way. And the star appears again. But it's not until verse 10 where the wise men are overjoyed. 
Another version of the scripture says they're overwhelmed with joy to see the star, which tells me that the star's been gone for a while. This is the classic absence makes the heart grow fonder, right, for the wise men. So the star is not a giant spotlight steadily coming out of the sky for the entire journey. No doubt this star is unusual. There have been many attempts to relate this star to, to, to a natural phenomenon that might have occurred at this point in history. Uh, maybe it was a joining together, some, some say, of Saturn and Jupiter that, that occurred around the year 7 BC. Maybe it was a comet. But I think Matthew is describing something that happened in the sky that's not just unusual. I think Matthew is describing something that happened in the sky that is miraculous. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that what happened in the night sky in Matthew's story is mirroring, mirroring what happened on the earth, the birth of a Savior. So think on this. The star remains stationary stays in one place while the wise men are in Jerusalem, just hangs tight in the sky. Then later the star leads the caravan to Bethlehem, where it stands still again in the sky to mark the precise location of the Christ child. Now I'm certainly no astronomer. My family will tell you that I've fallen asleep in many a planetarium presentations. But that description, that description of what happens, happened in the night sky is weird. It's weird stuff. Not only does the star spend quite a bit of time just holding still, but for the wise men who are coming from the east, the star moves west. And then the star moves south to Bethlehem. So this star doesn't rise in the east and set in the west like we expect all heavenly bodies to do because of the earth's rotation. This star is strange. This star is bizarre. Now, we could say it's bizarrely beautiful, but it's not just naturally odd. This is not a natural phenomenon or an unusual natural phenomenon. This is, I believe, a miracle. It's so far out of the ordinary that there's no explanation other than God is drawing our attention to a gift, a gift that is for all of creation. There was a Greek belief about stars in the ancient world that you might be interested in. This is a teaching of Dr. Alexander Shia that every person at birth received the gift of a star. So when you were born, you received the gift of a star, the Greeks believed, kind of like the idea of a guardian angel. And this star would provide the person who was born under its provision, the star would provide insight and guidance. The word disaster literally means dis-star, or to be separated from your star, to be separated from your insight, to be separated from your guidance. 
And so for the Greeks, it's your own star that would provide insight, that would provide you wisdom, that would provide you guidance. The thing about the star in Matthew is that it provides guidance, but the guidance that it provides is not just for the baby that's born under its provision. This star provides guidance for anyone who will pay attention and for anyone who will follow. Some say that the best astronomers in the ancient world were the Babylonians. And if that's the case, these wise men, these astronomers, biblically speaking, would have some of the worst ancestors. And yet here they are. Here they are following the star and worshiping the Christ child. This star, like this baby, is for everyone. This star shines light on what God is doing for every person. Now, while there won't be other messiahs in the 2,000 years that follow, there will be other stars. Anything that shines a light on God, anything that gives you or me miraculous insight is a star. In the year 1223, St. Francis asked the Pope at the time if he could have permission to construct a memorable reenactment of Jesus' birth for the people in his town. Most say that this was the beginning of the practice of the Christmas nativity scene. All his life, we are told, St. Francis had a flair for the dramatic and he had a sense that, was, that what was most important about our faith was the poverty and the sacrifice of the Messiah, of the Christ. For that reason, there wasn't much to the set for this first nativity scene. There was just an ox and a donkey and a manger with hay that also served as the altar for the mass. Unusual for this particular time in the 13th century, the Mass was celebrated outside, in the open air, on a hillside. As Francis preached a very touching message of a poor king that was born between a donkey and an ox in Bethlehem, legend has it that he picked up the doll from the manger, he cradled it in his arms, and the people who were there on the hillside with him said that the doll moved, that the doll breathed, that it was as if the infant came to life. What was it? What was it that provided the light? What was it that provided the miraculous insight that brought the story to life to the people who surrounded St. Francis? Was it the story itself? Was it a passionate preacher? Was it the setting? The fact that they were outside in creation? Or was it the simplicity, the meditation on the poverty and the sacrifice of the Savior? Yes, I think it could be any or all of those. The sky that you and I live under is full of stars, 
not only physically speaking, but spiritually speaking as well. This morning's uh, passage reminds us that there are lights that shine the truth of the gospel, not only for the wise men 2,000 years ago, but for you and me today. There's the words of another person, the words of Scripture. Matthew knows that the words of Scripture shine a light on the truth because Matthew, in this particular passage that we read this morning, quotes from what we call the Old Testament. He quotes from the, from the prophet Micah. Sometimes it's silence or the absence of words that provides a light, like solitude or centering prayer to guide our path. Sometimes it's the truths of our faith, things like forgiveness, gratitude, simplicity. We need these lights. We need these lights because we, much like the people of the Bible, can be dogged by fear. Fear pursues us. In Exodus, Pharaoh is the personification of fear. And in Matthew's gospel, it's King Herod and sons. It's an enterprise of fear that is on the loose. And King Herod and Pharaoh have many similarities. They have many things in common. They are both terrified by the threat that God is at work, that God is doing something new. They are both the poster boys of the resistance to God's kingdom. They will do anything that they can to hold on to their power and to keep things the same, and they are both relentless. What we know about Pharaoh and what we know about King Herod is that fear not only perseveres inside of them, but fear perseveres around them. The scripture story for today said not only was King Herod afraid, but the people, most of Jerusalem, was terrified as well. Parker Palmer is a Quaker author, teacher, preacher. He's written a new book. And the new book is titled, On the Brink of Everything. This book is about aging. And he says it's also about dying. I heard him interviewed about the topic of the book. And in the interview, he was asked this question. So he's almost 80 years old now. And the guy that was interviewing him was in his 30s. And so the guy who was interviewing him said, Since you're on the brink of death, <laughs> why aren't you afraid? <laughs> And Palmer replied, he said, first of all, first of all, I'm not afraid because I've lived long enough to have experienced many miniature deaths. I've lived long enough to experience many small failures. So I know that pain and suffering are a part of the journey of life. He talked about being younger, being in his 30s and complaining to a friend that something hadn't gone the way that he wanted it to go, that things weren't working out the way that he wanted things to work out, and this older mentor, this older friend, quite kindly replied to him, well, welcome to the human race. It's just a part of life. It is part of the human race, the path that we are all on to experience some disappointment, some pain, and some suffering. And then second of all, and quite similarly, Palmer said, I'm not afraid 
because I've lived enough of life to look forward with some anticipation to the journey ahead, to the next adventure. Because when one way closes behind me, he said, endless opportunities open up in front of me. That's the hope of the star. The hope of the star, I believe, is adventure. And the light of the star helps us to keep fear at bay and to look forward on the path with some sense of gratitude and some sense of anticipation. This is what it's like to be wise men and wise women. To be wise men and wise women is not just to study what God is up to, not just to be interested in what God is doing, but it's to have the courage to follow, to jump in to what God is doing, to put our feet to the path, even when it's dark, even when it's night, and then to celebrate, to be overcome with joy at every new appearance of a star that shines light in our life. The sacraments are promises to always shine light. And so as we celebrate the sacrament of communion together this morning, would you join me in the prayer of great thanksgiving? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were brought forth and you had formed the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You, Lord, created light out of darkness and brought forth life on this earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light, and our salvation. You sent a star to guide wise men to where the Christ was born, and in your signs and witnesses, in every age and through all the world, you have led your people from far places to this light. On the night in which our Lord and Savior gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you, this is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. The Christ has died, 
the Christ has risen, the Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. This morning we'll celebrate communion by giving communion, giving the sacraments to one another. And so you'll take a piece of bread, tear off a piece, and hand it to the person who's across from you, and then offer them the cup as well. You can say the words, this is the body of Christ given for you, and this is the blood of Christ given for you, or you can say nothing. Either way, the light shines. I also want you to notice that up here on the altar are cards, three different cards. Three is our number today. Of three different spiritual practices or invitations that you might want to take into the year 2019. Forgiveness. Lectio Divina is a reading of scripture, a prayerful reading of scripture and centering prayer. So take one of those cards when you come up for communion. The table is set. Our hearts are prepared. Won't you come and be a part of this light? 